0: Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mish Reya. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues.
1: This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM in partnership with Mish Reya. It's business, but it's personal. Listening
0: colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm extremely pleased to say, is Shosh Kazab, co-founder and CEO of Kidswear Collective, the luxury resale platform for baby and kids fashion. A career in marketing and PR led to Shosh taking on a Danish children's brand and noticing how untapped the kidswear market was. She founded Fuse Communications in 2004, a baby and kids PR agency with a focus on luxury brands. Troubled by the waste in the fashion industry and particularly designer kids' fashion where it's estimated children wear garments on average only five times. A eureka moment, as she says, came for Shosh when she saw a fashionable woman shopping in a New York second-hand store where Pucci and Chanel dresses hung on rails. What if you bring a luxury experience to children's wear while also encouraging greater sustainability? Shosh and our husband Anthony, a financial technology entrepreneur, launched Kidswear Collective in 2018, offering items from over 500 brands, including Dior, Dolce & Gabbana and Moncler, at up to 80% price reduction and available both online and in department stores in the UK and Qatar. It's fabulous to have you here. You've almost been here a few times. In fact, people wouldn't know that, but you have introduced uh, many guests to this program with your PR hat on. So hello in your own right, Shosh Kazab.
2: Wow, I'm so delighted to be here, for real, sitting on this fabulous chair in this <laughs> fabulous room. It's uh, it's wonderful to be on this side of the, uh, the screen.
0: Different for you though, right? Because you're used to promoting other people and other businesses. And did that, have done it, continue to do it for 20 years?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely out of my comfort zone uh, as a PR for the past 20 odd years. I've always been talking about other people and other people's businesses and other people's successes. So it's, uh, it's been an adjustment uh, talking about, you know, what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve with Kids Wear Collective. But, you know, it's an exciting uh, business. And actually, I love talking about it and I love sharing what we've been doing with anyone who wants to listen.
0: Now, we know each other. We know each other very well. We do. So I, this is, you know, I, I say that because it's important that, that people realize that. And I know this business really well because it was a bit like the Remington moment where he says, it was so great. I want to buy the company. I'm, I'm involved, which is a fabulous thing to be able to say. I, I meet so many entrepreneurs and it's brilliant when you hear their stories. It's even better when you're in it. Your first business, though, so I want to just go back there to Fuse Communications, which I mentioned. Why did you set your own thing up then?
2: I don't know. I think I've always been quite entrepreneurial. I've never liked taking orders from people. I don't know. I grew up as an only child. I have a half brother and half sister with a different, different mums. But I grew up as an only child and I think I've always liked to do my own thing. And I was never someone who was crazy about school. It never really challenged me in the way that I felt challenged. And I always just... I just wasn't conformist in that way. So working for someone my whole life wasn't something I ever saw for myself. So I don't know, the first opportunity I had to get out and do something myself, I jumped at it. So before launching Fuse, I was working in the fitness industry in a marketing role for many years. And I was in that company for a while and I grew as the business grew. And kind of got to the point which I just felt there weren't any more challenges. So I set about setting up a marketing agency or consultancy on my own with another person I knew from the industry. And, and we did that for a little while. And it was OK, but I just felt like it was a bit samey and I just needed something different. So you mentioned a Danish kids brand earlier. It was an opportunity that just sort of fell in my lap. My sister-in-law, who is Danish, mentioned that a friend of hers was bringing a kids' brand to the UK and would I like to do her PR. Obviously, I knew nothing about B2C PR. I was in business-to-business for many years. I knew nothing about the kids' industry. But I was at that point in my career where I just thought... (laughs) It was
0: perfect. I knew nothing about this. I knew nothing about that. So I went for it.
2: Just go for it. Just go for it. What's the worst that can happen? So, and that was amazing. It was a kids' brand called Miniature and actually I was working with them up until only a couple of years ago. Which is quite rare for PRs. You tend to chop and change PRs quite frequently. And actually with my Fuse business, I I had clients for 10, 12 years. So yeah, it was really fun being an extension of people's businesses, but not having to be part of their business.
0: Yeah. I just want to go back for a minute to the, to the school thing. And again, I have um, spies in this because it happens to be true that my wife went to school with you. Yes, it's ridiculous. <laughs> There's that, again, not many guests that I meet where the, where this has happened. Um you you said you were non-conformist, you know. When when Lindsay, my wife, talks about you, she says this was a force of energy and a and a ball of just kind of creativity and all that. What was it do you think about you not feeling like you wanted to conform? Where did that come from?
2: honestly I don't know. I've had it I've had it ever since I can remember and I just I just never felt challenged in a school environment. I never felt like this sort of you know, learning by repetition and and just reading, memorizing and then forgetting it five minutes later. I just, I couldn't understand why we weren't taught things that would stand us in good stead in life and, you know, maths in a way that you can apply in business or even legal stuff. I mean, why were we not taught about how to look after ourselves in, in that way? So I just felt like we weren't being taught things that I could apply in real life. It just never challenged me and I wasn't interested. And I was just one of those people that was happier not being at school than being at school.
0: I quickly add that Shosh speaks many languages, so it isn't that she didn't learn stuff, but she done it in a different way. Stay with me for much more from my spirited business shaper at Shosh Kazab, and she is the co-founder of Kidswear Collective. A lot of people listening will go, do you know what, I didn't like school either, and, and I have a, a variety of people that have set their own business up, from the super academic, they did an MBA, all the way through to they left school at 16. Yours is kind of a bit of this and a bit of that. It's almost like you held your nose for all those years and and carried on. At what point as a young adult did you start to really learn stuff that is useful now?
2: Do you know, I've always worked. Like, I started working when I was probably... uh, You couldn't do it these days, but I was about probably 13, 14. My dad had a shop in Petticoat Lane... And I would go and work there on the weekends. Then I was 15 and I was working in a shop in Golders Green and selling shoes and earning 15 pounds on a Sunday. But I loved it. I had my own bank card and I had my own money. And I loved not asking my mum for money and having my own freedom, what I could do and what I could spend that money on. So um I've always loved earning my own money. It's always kind of been there. I wanted to be I, I enjoyed going to university. I mean, I went to study in Paris for a year as part of my year out at uni and, and I, I preferred the experience of being in Paris rather than the studying in Paris I learned a lot more being in Paris and, and just meeting people and I worked while I was living in Paris as well and actually I got more skills and my language improved more probably from working again it just every opportunity it was for for education to kind of give me those skills I never really got it from education mm. I got it from life and you know, and your
0: dad, just talk about your dad for a minute. I mean, he's, you know, been in lots of businesses, is a proper, what you would call kind of survivalist entrepreneur, he I mean, just gets on and does stuff.
2: I mean, he literally is a survivor. I mean, he was one of the Iraqi Jews that fled Baghdad in 1951. They they left relatively wealthy lives and left with a suitcase and I think ten dollars to their names and became refugees in Israel and had to start from scratch. And I don't know, I think it's this inherited. I don't know if it's a trauma or <laughs> maybe it is, but it, there's something in you that ha- a survival technique just kind of kicks in. And my dad had many different careers, but, you know, it's, uh, it's a real story of success in many ways because to come from something and then have nothing and build yourself up again is, is something that not many people can mm. do. And so hopefully it's a survival technique that is ingrained in me somehow.
0: Um, I read somewhere that you were six and he came back from a work trip from New York with a special set of Christian Dior (laughs) pyjamas. Was that the beginning of the love affair with luxury?
2: (laughs) God, that makes me sound so bratty, but (laughs) I can assure you that was probably my only bit of Dior my entire life. And actually, I think still is, apart from a Dior kids' belt that I think I bought myself last (laughs) week from Kidswear Collective... That fit me but um, yeah I mean you know it's uh, he used to go off on his exotic travels and he came back from New York this time with this sort of fabulous pair of silk uh, Dior pyjamas and I remember just cherishing them and wearing them until they didn't fit (laughs) and uh, just being really upset when I couldn't fit into them anymore and having to I don't even know what happened to them that's sad but you know yes I've always loved lovely things and I don't know, maybe it's the Iraqi Jew in me, but I don't like paying full price for things and I always (laughs) like to get a deal where I can. So that, you know, balance of, of quality without having to break the bank. And I think that's a good balance that we can all try to get in life is just buying better quality things, but, you know, not having to lay out as much as we have to.
0: Yeah, and we're going to talk all about that because obviously, in the context of Kidswear Collective, which we'll be hearing lots more about, that is essentially at the core of the idea. Great quality, but it doesn't have to break the bank. Stay with me for much more from my business shaper today. It's Shosh Kazab, and she's the co-founder and CEO of Kidswear Collective. They are a pre-loved luxury kids platform. Right now, though, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Innovation Series, which can be found on all the major podcast platforms. New presenter, Lydia Kellett, invites business founders to share their industry insights and practical advice for those of you thinking about getting into an industry and starting your very own thing. In this clip focused on the fashion industry, we hear from Ashita Cabra-Davis, founder of Peer-to-Peer Fashion Rental App by Rotation.
2: The Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishkon Derea. So for somebody looking to enter into the industry, whether that's the tech and or fashion industry, what advice would you give to them? I think this advice applies to both industries. It's really focus on the product and your customers will come. I think, you know, we've seen it happen a lot, even in the tech industry, that people are like... They're spending too much money and time on the wrong things. You know, they're focusing a lot on how things look on the outside rather than actually building in the inside. So it should be about the quality of your product and then the customer love comes very organically. The Mishcon Innovation Series. In association with Jazz Shapers
1: with Mishcon Derea. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishcon Dorea. It's business, but it's personal.
0: You can, of course, find all our former Business Shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast, and you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. My guest today, in case you haven't been listening, and crime it is if you haven't, is Shoss Kazab, co-founder and CEO of Kids Wear Collective, the luxury resale platform for baby and kids fashion. So, Kids Wear Collective, 2018, drumroll, <laughs> it happens. It comes from this, this insight, which I mentioned right at the beginning of the program, which is you saw, I think it was, was it The Real Real yep. in New York? In Real, yep. Real Real, which if you haven't known... And go and look that up it's a it's a fabulous business really interesting and big and it does beautiful luxury secondhand stuff and you saw this in new york and you went hold on a minute because you've been in the fashion world for kids for many years when you had that feeling shosh was it a i've got to do something about this or did it kind of percolate through eventually
2: No, it really was like a Eureka moment. It's interesting because I've always shopped and worn mixed wardrobe. And a mixed wardrobe basically means you're combining new clothes with uh, vintage clothes or secondhand clothes, and that's that's something I've always done ever since I was a kid. I mean, I used to always buy second hand, and a lot of my friends had just you know turned their noses up at it. And...
0: Flip, there was flip, flip in Covent Garden. Rocket. I, a rocket. I used to go there for the jeans. <laughs> the, I wore five hundred ones, which is not great for my figure. I mean, it's Let's not great be for anyone's figure. They're really to be fair. <laughs> different. they're not they're not good. I mean, seriously, they, they were just they were, they were tight in all the wrong places. Is all I'll say. But yes, but that was a re- that was a thing for certain people. You're right. It was a it bit, bit polarising. It was
2: polarising. Yeah. But I also like like 1940s 1950s style so I would buy hats like like fabulous felt hats there was an amazing vintage store in Covent Garden on um, Neil Street and I used to go in there begging for a job every week just wanting to work in that environment just you're wearing I... a
0: retro you're sort of vintage is this <laughs> but, a vintage top as well Well, now? it's a
2: vintage inspired yeah but Lacoste my top. handbag is vintage I mean I, I you know my yeah. my jacket hand. My jeans are uh, new. My shoes are from an outlet. I mean, it really is. I'm a living embodiment of... <laughs> not in
0: a Mr. Potato way, quickly. To, <laughs> it looks you. like it's, it, it looks great. It's all working. <laughs> well,
2: thank you. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, so I'd always shop that way. And then and New York always had good secondhand stores. But they were always that traditional kind of you go in, it smells a bit. Hard to find things. And you need patience. And, you know, not everyone has the stamina for that. So... I stumbled upon The Real Real when I was in uh, New York for a wedding and it just felt like the tipping point had happened. Um, That moment where I saw these glamorous New Yorkers who probably would never have been seen dead in a secondhand shop before. Shopping there, it was, you know, you'd have plush carpets, amazing fixtures and fittings. It just felt like a normal shop. Mm. And I just thought, wow, it's happened. And, And this is really exciting. So straight away, I googled The Real Real and obviously discovered it was massive, but you know, it's not really something that anyone's familiar with in the UK. It's a it's a US business and founded by an amazing woman called Julie Wainwright who's now stepped down as a CEO, but she she's done lots of amazing things. She's a she's a serial entrepreneur as well. And um, not not that I'm like her, but you know, someone to aspire to. And I just became obsessed with the idea of this normalization of, of pre-owned and what I could do in my role, my experience as working in in the kids' space. And and for me, it just seemed so obvious. You know, it comes from a needs-based place with kids. Like, you're a parent, you know. You need to rotate your kids' wardrobes between every 12 to 18 months fully. So you can't hang on to your clothes. We can hang on to our things and hope that we might... if we become a bit tight, (laughs) but you know, we can can hope that we're going to squeeze back (laughs) into them. But with kids, you don't have that luxury. You literally have to rotate their wardrobe. So I was just like, well, what's happening with all these amazing clothes? And what can we do with them? And is there a way to kind of get them out there?
0: Anthony, your husband has built businesses, financial services, businesses, training related, technology related, all sorts. He's there. And the two of you go, what? What actually happens to get this thing off the ground?
2: I mean, we came back from New York and I just said to Anthony, build me a website.
0: <laughs> build me a website.
2: And that was it. And that was it. And that was it. Right.
0: Um,
2: and then he, he, just, he just went off starting to build the bones of what I thought would be a really great website. Just looking at the websites that I enjoy shopping with and how we can make it feel luxurious. And I gave him, you know, a brief And he delivered. It was amazing. And while he was busy doing that, I was just thinking, where am I going to get this stock from? What are we going to sell on this website? So I just drew on my many, many, many years of experience of working in in Luxury Kids fashion with my, you know, relationships that I had. And I started out initially getting influencers and celebrities that I knew, as well as some stylists, to give me some of their kids' clothes to sell. I mean, I obviously passed the idea by them and and they all loved it and they all felt that there was a need for it and they just thought that it would be something that would fly, yeah. And
0: and just to jump ahead for a moment, five years later, a funded business with a valuation that's growing. You're in Selfridges, you're in Bista Village for a pop-up, the website sells many thousands of items on an annual basis... Many big brands are on that site. You have gone off and done, you know, it's always the same. I talk to amazing founders. It's like, it looks like there's 50 people. There were two of you. And now, of course, the team is around.
2: Well, we're five full-time members of staff. And we've got about five others who work on a more remote basis.
0: So there's lots that's happened. Do you ever not work?
2: No. (laughs) No. I work seven days a week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And what's it like? And obviously, I know your husband very well. But what's it like being a husband and wife couple in this? Do you even think about that? How does that play out? Because if it's 24 yeah. seven, and I know it is, yeah. where does marriage fit inside of that?
2: You know, actually, it's really easy today, because uh, we see each other a lot less than we did at the beginning, because the business has grown to a certain point now where we're very much separate in terms of what we do. So... I still have a small office in Primrose Hill. We moved our main warehouse and office for Kids Wear Collective to Northwest London. And, and actually, that's where Anthony's based most of the time. So actually, we see each other quite infrequently. So, you know, I'll see him at the end of the day and be like, how's your day, dear? Because like, <laughs> I didn't see him. So actually, in the early stages, you know, it was, it was intense. But it was exciting. And, and we get on really well. We're best friends as well. And, you know, it's exciting to build something with your hopefully your life partner. So, you know, it's a great journey to be on. And he has a completely different skill set to me.
0: Yeah, what would you say? What, what does Auntie deliver for the business? As I far mean, as he's
2: concerned? back end, I'm front end. So I think that's it. And he he's just very, very good at business. He's very good at technology. He's very good with everything to do with finance, fundraising. He's dealing with all our tech development now we're building a, our own proprietary tech platform you know those are all the things that gets him excited those are the things that don't get me excited they'll be great once they're once they're they're live but I you know I'm not excited about things like that I'm excited about partnerships growing the business seeing where I can take it from that perspective and he likes to get behind the scenes and the nitty-gritty and so that's great so you know the, we really don't have any crossover in terms of what our roles are which is uh, which is why I think it works.
0: Stay with me for my final chat with my guest day Shosh Kazab and we've got some snarky puppy for you too. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish It's business, but it's personal.
0: Shosh Kazab is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. There's obviously a tension that's inherent between a business which says we're not gonna, you know, make more clothes, we're selling clothes that have already been used, the drive for sustainability, the use of Oxwash, which is the people that get there and clean the clothes and you you know you do all this clever stuff which makes sure it comes out looking pristine. There's that commercial driver and then there's the purpose piece. Mm. How do you square the two together?
2: When I had the vision for this business, I just thought, how can we create something that that is more than just a business, that can give back? I mean, there are so many different levels to this. I mean, first of all, I love the democratisation of designer kids fashion, the fact that you know somebody who can't afford maybe a Moncler coat or or you know any high quality garment that can access it at a, a more affordable price point through platforms like ours that that makes me very excited. I also love the fact that you know we've we work with so many different charities now, and and really there's no limit to the number of charities we can work with. I mean, we work with Mothers to Mothers, which is a wonderful and small charity that um, supports women who are HIV positive in sub-Saharan Africa. And we did a, a little fundraiser for them where we got celebrities uh, to donate clothes, which we sold through one of our pop-ups in Fennec in Bond Street, which was successful both from a fundraising perspective but also from a you know PR perspective. It gave the charity lots of publicity. We worked with the NSPCC to try and help raise awareness of online safety for children, something that's very important for everyone who shops with us, and it's something that's obviously very relevant. Um, And then we donate clothes that we can't sell to uh, a charity called Little Village, which supports families who uh, are in need, whether it's a refugee family or a a woman who's suffering from domestic violence who has left home with nothing. You know, I think that's really important. So how do you get the balance between being a commercial business but also Mm. uh, purposeful? And I think that's really important. I'm seeing most businesses these days kind of gearing up more towards that. And I think it's not a question of... What do you do? It's, it's expected today, and I think yeah. that's really important, and I think that's wonderful, and long may that continue.
0: In terms of the business of retail, obviously things have changed significantly, the move to online uh, for all of us. You know, it's much easier now, and we, most of us do it, and 25 years ago, we just didn't. But the credibility that you get through bricks and mortar, the credibility that you, that you have mm. um, of being in store in Fenwick or in store in Selfridges or in store in Bista Village or wherever it might be, what's that doing for your business? How important is that?
2: I mean, when we launched the business, we we totally envisaged it as an online business, and we didn't even consider retail. Selfridges came out of the blue. I know the buyer; she came along to one of my press days and loved what we were doing, and asked if we wanted to do a pop up. I said yes. <laughs> At that point, we only had four hundred items on the website, and you know, my my favourite quote, "Leap in the net will appear," kicked in, and I just thought <laughs> we'll make this happen. But We opened a 40 square meter space in in Selfridges and Oxford Street. And I have to say that that Selfridges was a transformational moment for our business because it really showed Selfridges customers how incredible pre-owned clothes can be encourages Selfridges customers to buy mixed wardrobes. It also encourages them to sell their clothes when their kids have grown out of them and keep clothes in circulation for longer. There are so many positive messages and we're actually launching um, a drop-off facility as well in Selfridges soon where Selfridges customers can drop in their kids clothes to sell with us. So there's so many layers to this but it just builds trust and I think it's still a growth area. I mean we talk about pre-owned like it's something that we all do but probably quite a lot of people still haven't bought a pre-owned item before. And we talk about it like it's normal, but it's still very early in this, this whole movement. So the more that retail can do to normalise this, the better for everyone.
0: In terms of, and just before we go to your song choice, um, the future, Shosh, the, the, the growth's been fantastic trajectory has been rapid. You're about to acquire a business called Cheeky Cherubs, so which is going to be part of the family. Yeah. What else is, what's going on over the next few years? What would we be talking about in the next three to five years, do you think?
2: I mean, it's really exciting because the, the growth that's happened over the past year is something that we never predicted. So, you know, we, we opened our first international partner, uh, Gallery Lafayette in Doha. Middle East is a really exciting market for us and we're exploring more partners over there. America is very exciting for us, particularly the East Coast. Um, hopefully, we can really grow the business internationally, and then com- continue to grow online as well, and and uh, build our partners um, as well. So it's just it's very exciting, and, and I guess we don't really know. I mean, there's there's so much more that can be done. I mean, it's things like upcycling. We we launched a. A partnership with a couture kidswear brand last year where we used their offcuts from previous collections to create a limited edition party wear collection that's you know fully sustainable launched at a bista village sold out and it was wonderful it was exciting and just finding solutions to dead stock fabrics you know we we can be so much more experimental with kidswear than in adults fashion there are less rules and we can pivot we can try things out we can experiment and just see what works and what doesn't and that's very exciting so it's really hard to predict I mean we couldn't have predicted what where we would be Mm. a year ago so I don't know but I know it's going to be exciting
0: is it more fun than school hell yeah (laughs) 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 it's been brilliant talking to you thank you for coming in just before i let you go what's your song choice and why have you chosen
2: well i was very excited about picking a song choice today because uh well obviously dirty dancing aside i wanted to just pick out an artist that means a lot to me she's a a wonderful artist who unfortunately is no longer with us um cesaria avore she's from cape verde she was a real force to be reckoned with she was fostered at a very young age she was I think one of six children she had a really tough upbringing and but this phenomenal voice she had just just came through and I've always loved her and I had the chance to um, see her in concert in Amsterdam one of her final concerts um, sat in the front row with Anthony and this woman came on stage wearing no shoes a glass of whiskey in one hand a fag in the other And just delivered the most beautiful, beautiful renditions of her songs. And she was just magic. And your, you know, hairs on your arms stood on end. And you just knew you were in the presence of something special. And I'm really sad to see her pass. But her music stays with us. And I hope everyone enjoys it as much as I do.
0: Sodad by Cesaria Evora, the song choice of my business shaper Shosh Kazab. She talked about the normalisation of buying pre-loved and how important that is to her whole mission in life. She talked about her husband and the fact that they're a double act. He's the back end, I'm the front end. And she talked about going for it at every turn as you grow your business. Leap and a net will appear. Fantastic stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership
0: with Mishkondorea.
1: It's business, but it's personal.
0: We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash Jazz Shapers.